Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you speak to us um, through your word, the Bible. And thank you that you do not just give us information, but you seek to change us. Your word is living and active, and it has the power to turn us away from sin and death and towards life and love and all that is good in you. Father, pray that as we um, wrestle with your word now together, um, please use my words to bring light and insight and to change us for your glory. Amen. So if you were here last week, we were looking at probably the most famous parable that Jesus tells, arguably the most famous story in the whole Bible, the parable of the two lost sons, the one who runs away, ends up feeding pigs, comes back, is welcomed, and the older son thinks, what's all that about? And we're going from that end of the spectrum, from super famous to, is that really in the Bible (laughs) this week? This is probably, I think, one of the least often spoken about, least often taught on parables in the whole of the Gospels. And to be honest, you can see why. It's weird. I don't know what you were thinking as Jenna read it to you, but I'd be very surprised if many of you were thinking, yeah, got that, that makes a lot of sense, right? It's a head-scratcher, it's confusing. You don't know what it means or what Jesus is trying to say because we're introduced to this dishonest manager and he's about to get fired. He responds by cheating his master. The master commends him and Jesus says, go be like that manager, so what's going on? What, what are we supposed to learn from this strange little story? Well, thankfully, Jesus helps us out in verse 9. Look down with me um, at page 1050. Here's verse 9. This is what Jesus says. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So the giveaway is that little phrase, I tell you. If you've been here through the series, it might be familiar to you. We heard it at the end of the parable of the lost coin and of the lost sheep. When Jesus came to the point of those parables, he said, I tell you, here's the point. And so it's really helpful. Jesus said it again. I tell you, here's the point. What is the point? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Okay, so is it just some slightly unconventional financial advice? So I was weighing up different savings accounts, thinking about where best to put my money. Is it bonds? Is it stocks and shares? ISA, what's that? Anyway, Jesus says, use your worldly wealth to gain friends. That's my financial advice. The stakes are higher than that. The stakes are much higher than that. Come down with me to verse 13, same page. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. What are those masters? End of the verse. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, so the choice is not just about how we spend our money, what we do with our money. Ultimately, Jesus says, the choice is about who do we serve? Will we serve God, including with our money? Or will we serve money instead of God? Will we serve God with our money or serve money instead of God. And Jesus wants us to serve God with our money, to use our money in such a way that it blesses others and saves us from the danger of being held captive by money. The way that money can drive our decisions, can become what we live for, what we serve, and so can pull us away from God. 
Now, if you're anything like me, you're probably sitting there thinking, I don't think, I don't think I'm serving money instead of God. In fact, I don't really think that's the, that's the danger I face in my life. Maybe the reality is that you're sitting here and you don't have a lot of money. Week to week, month to month, things are pretty tight. And so you think, well, how can I serve something I don't even have? Or maybe you, you are pretty well off, but you're not extravagant. It's not like you wake up in the morning thinking about money. So surely you're not at risk of serving money. Here's the problem. If you take the whole of the Gospels, all that Jesus says, what is the thing that Jesus warns people about more than anything else? By miles. Money. Wealth. Greed. Is Jesus wrong? Or could it be that the danger of serving money is precisely that it is so subtle that we can be serving money and we can sit here in church on a Sunday and think, that's nah, not really a danger for me. Um, Tim Keller, the pastor from New York, he makes the argument like this. He says, we should all begin with the working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. If greed hides itself so deeply, no one should be convinced that it's not a problem for them. And so he asks us, how can we recognize and become free from the power of money to blind us? How can we recognize and become free from the power of money to blind us? And Jesus answers with this parable. He wants to open our eyes and help us to serve him rather than money. And the first thing he shows us is the reality that money will let us down. The reality, money will let us down. Look again at that key verse, verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone. So that when it is gone. That is the fundamental reality about money or wealth or any kind of material possessions. One day, it will be gone. And that's the reality that drives The parable drives the story. Look down with me at verse 1. Back over the page. Jesus told his disciples, here comes the parable, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. In other words, you're fired. Manager's been fired. That's his new reality. His source of money, his job, has gone. Money's let him down. Now, I'm lucky enough, or perhaps just young enough, to have never lost my job. Um, But towards the end of last year, I ended up uh, chatting and praying with a guy who had lost his job unexpectedly that day, and he'd come into the church um, for for solace. So he kind of, you know, performance review, one of those things, we think that's going to be fine, and, and it wasn't fine. That's a tough conversation. It's a really painful time because there's that sense that you're just building life together. So, you know, solid job, engaged to be married, looking for a place, and suddenly the job's gone, so the money's gone, so the plans are up in the air. Money will let us down. 
Maybe you're thinking, yeah, okay, people lose their jobs sometimes. Job insecurity, part of the 21st century, gig economy, all that. But I've got money in the bank account, and that's not going anywhere, right? Or maybe you're thinking, I'd love to have money in a bank account. I'd love to have that kind of security. Well, let me tell you the story of a guy called Steve Hymoff. I've never met him, but there he is. Normal-looking bloke, quite a nice-looking dog. Um, he, he worked hard and saved lots. That was what he did with his life. Um, and when someone asked him why, this was his answer. My fear was getting old and decrepit. I don't have children, and my entire adult life, part of my motive for doing everything was a fear of being old and poor. And he'd done well. He built up a healthy pension pot, enough, more than enough, um, actually, for a comfortable retirement. But then he woke up on the morning of the 10th of December 2008 to find that his entire pension fund had gone. Despite the fact that it had been advertised as risk-free and all those things, all of his money had been invested in the Ponzi scheme run by Bernie Madoff, but basically a fraud. Um, and that Ponzi scheme collapsed. Steve Heimoff lost everything. Money will let you down. Now, maybe you'll be lucky enough never to lose a job. Most likely, any money you have in the bank will be safe. But money will still eventually let you down because it will be no use to you when you die. Like the manager, we've been entrusted with someone else's possessions. As we recognized in, the, in our confession, the whole earth and everything in it is God's. Nothing belongs to us, ultimately. We don't own anything. God owns everything, and we are his managers, his stewards. And like the manager in the, in the parable, we waste his possessions. We use them for our own good rather than how God would want them to be used. And so like the manager, God will one day say to us, effectively, you're fired, you're done. You can't be manager any longer. And so just like the manager confronted the reality that he'd been fired and his time was short, we have to confront that same reality that our time is short. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when our money is no longer going to be any use to us. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year, it could be 10, 20, 50 years. But from where Jesus is standing, that is short. And when we die, we cannot take money or wealth or possessions with us. There'll be no use to us at all. So, just like the milk in your fridge, the money in your bank has a use, use by date. The problem is you don't know what it is. Money will let you down. And so Jesus warns us, pleads with us not to make the mistake of serving money when we could be serving a God who will never let us down. And so in light of that reality that money will let us down, how should we respond? What would it look like to serve God with our money rather than serving money instead of God? Well, that's the second thing Jesus wants to show us. The response is to use money to benefit others. The response, use money to benefit others. Come back with me to the story of the dishonest manager. I pick up the parable in verse three. So he's just been fired, and the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And what he does is he calls in a couple of people who, and we assume that's kind of lots of people, who owe his master money, and he basically buys their favor by writing off part of their debt. 
He cuts their bill so that they'll, they'll be nice to him later. Or in other words, he responds to his situation by using the master's money to benefit others. But you might be thinking, okay, so is, is this guy an example for us? Are we supposed to cheat our masters, our bosses? Are we supposed to be unethical? Is that what it looks like to, to respond to this reality? No, the point that Jesus is making is that we can learn not from the master's dishonesty, sorry, the manager's dishonesty, but from his shrewdness. If you look with me at verse 8, Jesus says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. The manager is an example of the people of this world. He pursues selfish ends through dishonest means. He does it pretty well. He does a good job of it. He acts smartly in light of his situation. And Jesus is saying that as people of the light, we too should confront the reality of our future, that money will let us down, and let our actions be as shrewd, as smart, as those of the manager. So this is a bit of a silly illustration, but you can think of it a bit like this. It's like taking a group of trainee project managers and sitting them down in front of Ocean's Eleven. Okay? Great film. Love Ocean's Eleven. It's all about a gang of criminals who conspire to rob a casino. Right? Now, that project is brilliantly planned and executed. There's a lot of precision. They need the right people in the right place at the right time. They need the Chinese acrobat guy to do the cool bit where he flips and avoids... You know, it's, it's, it's difficult, and they pull it off because they plan it really well. It's a project executed perfectly. Lot for, lots for trainee project managers to learn from watching Ocean's Eleven. But the point is not to go out and rob a casino, right? That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, watch how well this guy reads the situation and acts shrewdly. Don't be dumb, be smart like him. So what does it look like to be shrewd in serving God with our money? It looks like using money to benefit others. Jesus tells us that in verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Given the reality that money will let us down, that hoarding it and keeping it for ourselves is dangerous because it leads us to serve it, the smart thing to do is to use it to benefit others through good stewardship, through kindness, through generosity. Jesus wants us to act like the master, not by cheating anyone, but by using our master's wealth to benefit others. Now, one obvious way that we can do that is through giving, by taking the the money and possessions that God has given to us and giving them away for the benefit of others. And so I want to lay down a challenge, particularly um, to those of us who are near the start of our careers and might expect our income to rise over the years ahead. Um, so in 1731, a man called John Wesley, who went on to be quite famous, there he is. Um, John Wesley, in 1731, he earned £30. He spent £28. And so a bit of elementary maths will tell you he gave away £2. And at that time, he resolved to maintain his spending at the same level regardless of what happened to his income. He said, well, look, I could live off £28 when I had £30. So when his income doubled to £60, he lived off 
28 pounds and gave 32 away. When it doubled again to 120 pounds, he lived off 28 pounds and gave 92 away. When it rose to 1,400 pounds, John Mosley lived off 28 pounds and gave the rest away, 1,372. There you go. Okay, now practically, I can, you know, the, the objections are obvious, right? Well, sometimes what we need to spend changes over time, we have kids, things different, you know, all well and good. The principle holds that there's no good reason to increase our spending just because our income increases, okay? And yet the world says, of course you do. You've worked hard for that. You're going up the tree, of course you should expect your standard of living to rise and rise and rise and rise. Why? John Wesley resolved to spend the same, no matter his income. Why couldn't we do the same? But it's not just about giving. We're also called to use the stuff we don't give away to benefit others. And so to give you an example of what that might look like, um, the first time I came to London for any length of time, I was working for another church um, for a month um, in a summer, and I was staying with the vicar and his family um, for the month. They didn't really have a spare room, they just had two teenage children and they could persuade to sleep in the same room for a month rather than different rooms. Um, and they shared everything with me for that month. I was part of the family. And I, I mean that not just in a, you're welcome to join us for dinner kind of way, but in a you are welcome to raid the fridge for whatever you want, whenever you want, like you're a teenage child kind of way. <laughs> okay. And that experience of Christian generosity, that benefited me. During the month, I didn't go hungry. I had some, lots of nice stuff out of the fridge, right? But even today, that, that changes you. Experiencing that kind of wholehearted, overflowing generosity really blesses people. It blessed me. Now, maybe you have a spare room that you could, someone could benefit from, more likely, given we're, talk, we're in central London, you don't. <laughs> okay? But every one of us is going to eat dinner each day this week. So who could you open your home to? Who could you share a meal with? Who could you let raid the fridge? Because the reality is that money will let us down. It's foolish, it's dangerous, it's dumb to serve it and to store it up. Instead, the smart response is to use the wealth that God has entrusted to us to benefit others. To use our money to serve God. And when we do that, when we use our money to benefit others, what's the result? Jesus tells us, promises us, that we are welcomed into our eternal home. The result, welcomed into our eternal home. So how does the parable finish? Well, the manager's plan was clear. He'll cut people's debts to his master so that, verse 4, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. That's the end game. That's what he's aiming for. He wants security. He wants to know that someone's going to let him in. Someone's going to put him up and someone's going to feed him. He's gonna be, he wants to know that he'll be welcome in someone else's house. And Jesus says that if we're shrewd, smart, like that manager, if we use our money that God has given us to benefit others, then when it's all over for us, we too will be welcome in someone else's house. Look down with me at verse 9 one more time. Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. 
Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Welcomed by God into his house. Welcomed by God into his perfect world. Welcomed by God into your eternal home. Please hear me clearly. I'm not saying that we have to earn our way into heaven by using our money to benefit others. If that were the case, we're all in bother, okay? When it comes to money, we're all dishonest managers, every one of us, and we all deserve to be fired. The only way we can come into God's house, the only way we can be right with him, the only way we can be forgiven, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, died on the cross to take the punishment for all of our bad management, all of our selfishness, all of our greed, was, he took it on himself so that he could take it away, that we might be washed clean, that we might come in. He left his heavenly home, his home from eternity and to eternity, because that was the only way that we could come in. Only through his death and resurrection could we have life forever with God in a perfect new world. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't do it. But that doesn't mean that we can do what we like with our money, that God doesn't care. He does. God cares what you and I spend our money on. We can displease our Father in heaven by taking the gifts that he's poured out onto us and hoarding them for ourselves. We can displease him by saying, I don't want to be like you in your generosity. I want to be selfish, greedy. Verse 11 and 12 say we can prove ourselves untrustworthy in his eyes through the way that we handle money. Or we can please our Father in heaven by using the gifts he's given us to bless and benefit others by being generous as he is generous, so that when our life is done and money is no use to us at all, we'll be welcomed into God's house. He'll welcome us into our eternal home with a smile on his face. So here's the question, or at least a question. Would you rather save and save and save in the hope that one day... If you're lucky, you'll be able to afford the deposit for a house you'd actually be happy to live in for some decent length of time. Or would you rather give generously to church and to others in the knowledge that the result will be favour with God, welcomed by him into your eternal home? Now, of course, it isn't really an either-or. There's nothing inherently sinful about the desire to own your own home at some point. In fact, in some cases, it might well be a wise thing to aim for. Here's the point. If we're saving up, if we're storing up resources because we think that one day we're going to buy ourselves security in the form of a house, that's a dumb play. We're looking in the wrong place. We're busting a gut to buy a house that, from all I can, I don't own a house, but from all I hear... It's, it's quite a lot of effort. Things crack, things leak. It's a pain. And one day, 
You'll die and it'll be no use to you at all. We're looking for our security there rather than in the true and lasting security of an eternal welcome into our eternal home, looking for what God is offering us, the true riches of life forever with him. If we serve money, we'll find that ultimately the floor will collapse under our feet, however nice the house is. But serve God with our money, then we can achieve security, welcomed by God into our eternal home. So as I close, that's the choice all of us face. Not just will we buy a house or not, but big picture, will we serve money instead of God or serve God with our money? Whether we call ourselves Christians or not, that's our choice. Serve money instead of God or serve God with our money. Jesus is clear, you cannot do both. You cannot serve both God and money. And so he gives us this parable to open our eyes, to challenge our thinking, and to point us away from serving money and towards serving him. To show us the reality that money will let us down. To show us that the smart response is to use wealth to benefit others. And to hold out the promise and the reality that as a result, we can be welcomed by our generous God into an eternal home. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're sorry that we serve money in so many ways. We store it up, we keep it for ourselves, we spend it on ourselves. We, in some sense, worst of all, we trust in it for security for that sense that it's all going to be okay in the end because there's money. Lord God, we repent of that and long to put our trust instead in Jesus who through his death and resurrection has made it possible for us to know security beyond anything money can buy. The security of an eternity in God's home with him. Lord, help us to know that in the depths of our being, that that's where we're headed if we're walking with Jesus. And would that free us to use our money to benefit others? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.